Well, hey, good morning again. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. I uh, hope you had an incredible Thanksgiving week. I hope you got your fill of turkey and all the fixins. I don't know if that's southern. It sounds southern. I don't know. Um, I'm from Ohio. Um, you know what? Yeah, amen. There you go. Where, where are you? There, there. Um, hope you enjoyed uh, a lot of good football. And I know some half of you are like, too soon, man, too soon. All right, sorry, okay, not for the Ohio State fans. Um, <laughs> man, it's so good to see you. It is December 1st, I can't believe it. So we are moving into the Christmas season, and so we're kicking off a new four-week series this morning called The Light Has Come. And what we're going to do in, in this series is we're going to walk through John chapter 1, which helps us to understand uh, really what this season is, is all about. It's a really important uh, chapter, uh, or this this month, uh, this morning, we're going to walk through John chapter one verses, uh, John chapter one, one through five. Uh, but you know what? Just to give us all kind of our bearings and, and where we're at in the, the gospel of John. Okay, so the Bible has two uh, two halves: the Old Testament, the New Testament. In the first part of the New Testament, you have the the four gospels we call them: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are all separate accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ while he was on the earth. Now, one of the ways I've heard it said, which I think is helpful, it's not four separate gospels, it's one fourfold gospel. Okay, so in other words, it's, it's the life and the ministry of Jesus told from four different perspectives, and it helps to give us a, a more full picture of, of Jesus and his life and his, his ministry. Okay, so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you look at the books of uh, Matthew and Luke, what you see is, is it, it shows us the beginning of Jesus' earthly life. Okay, so it takes us back to the birth of Christ when he came to earth as a baby. When you look at the gospel of Mark, it takes us back to the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Okay, so Jesus, when he was 30 years old, uh, was a, a grown man entering into his public ministry. When we look at the, the gospel of John, which we're going to take a look at today, it doesn't take us back to the beginning of his earthly life or to the beginning of his earthly ministry. It takes us all the way back to the beginning Period. We're going to see in John chapter 1. You know, one of the cliches that we hear a lot uh, around this time of year, and, and I'm sure you've heard it, Jesus is the reason for the what? Season, all right? We hear this all the time, and it's one of those that um, it kind of, it's, it's, it's been used and overused so much, but yet, man, it's so accurate because it's so easy in our culture to, to forget what this Christmas season is, is all about. But yet I would say even for those of us that would say, oh, I know that, that Jesus is the reason for the season, I think sometimes even as followers of Jesus, we kind of get tunnel vision when it comes to what Christmas is all about. And we think that it's only about baby Jesus, right? And, uh, and I want to show you a little clip of a video that kind of, I think, summarizes how we as a culture think about Jesus in this time of the year. So check out this video. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? Dear tiny Jesus. Your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? <laughs> 
so this is, this is kind of in our culture. There's so many ways we could take this, right? Because in our culture, it's kind of like, hey, you pick which Jesus you prefer the most, right? The Jesus that, that answers our prayers, that helps us win, that all this stuff. Um, but really, the reason I show this is because uh, sometimes we think of Christmas as, you know, this is, Jesus is, this is Christmas Jesus. It's baby Jesus, baby in the manger. And yet Christmas is so much bigger than that, it's, it's so much bigger. It's not about baby Jesus. It's about the person and the work of Jesus, which, which comes, started way before the manger, and it extends far beyond his birth. And that's what we're going to talk about, because if we're really going to fully grasp the importance of what we celebrate during the season, we've got to understand the answer to a couple questions. Who is Jesus, and why did he come? Who is Jesus and why did he come? And that's what we'll see as we look through John chapter 1. And so what we're going to do before we, we get there is, would you, would you pray with me as we, as we open the word of God this morning? Uh, God, again, we just come to you and we submit ourselves to you. We uh, us that you have something to say to us, that you have something that you want to reveal to us and to our hearts and exactly where we're at in our life. And so, God, I pray that you would you would shed light on your word and on the truth of your word and the things that you want us to hear in particular. And so, God, would you meet with us today? Would you help us to, to, to see whatever it is that you want us to see? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to turn there with me in your Bible or on, in the Bible app um, and follow along as we read John 1, verses 1 through 5. And now, maybe you've read this a uh, hundred times or, or a thousand times in your life, the challenge for all of us that are familiar with this is to, is to come to this passage with fresh eyes and to not think of it as like the thousandth time we've read through this, but to read it as if we're seeing it and understanding it for the first time. Okay, so John chapter one, starting in verse number one, it says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so these first five verses are going to set the table for the rest of John chapter 1 and what we're going to see in the next few weeks. And so there's really three basic things that I want to draw our attention to out of these five verses this morning. And again, these may be basic for, for many of us, but man, I'm telling you, these are, are foundational to, to our, our belief and who we are in Christ. And so the first thing I want you to see is this, the word that we see in chapter 1. 1 verse 1, the word is Jesus. The word is Jesus. Again, verse number 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. Okay, so the question is, what is this word? Who is this word? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. And what you see as you drop down in chapter 1 to verse 14, which we'll see in a few weeks, is this, this defines for us what or who the word is, okay? Verse 14 says, and the word became what? Became flesh. Okay, in other words, this, this word is, is a person, became a human being, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, 
full of grace and truth. So when you see verse number one and you see further on in the chapter, verse 14, it says that that word dwelt among us. Now, if, if we understand the Christmas story, that this is speaking of Jesus becoming a man or becoming a baby, right? This is, is God coming in the flesh. And so when we look at this chapter, when it talks about the word of God, we're talking about Jesus here, that the word is Jesus. This is the incarnation or the, the, the becoming flesh of God. Okay, so the word is Jesus. Here's the second thing I want us to see. Again, simple but foundational. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And I want to go back again, verses 1 through 3. It says, in the beginning was the word, which again is Jesus. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Okay, so Jesus is God. This is, this is really important because other religions teach different things about this. This is really a core foundational doctrine or teaching of, of what we believe. If you were to look at a Jehovah's Witness Bible, which is called the New World Translation, it's going to translate this very closely but not the same. It's, it's, it's going to say, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, little g, God. He was, he was a man, but he was not, he was not God. He was, he was a God, but he was not the one true God. And so this is such an important belief. This, this is what we see in these few verses it speaks to the attributes that we see all throughout Scripture of, of who God is. Okay, so one of the things, the attributes we see is that he is eternal because it says that in the beginning was the word. And verse 2 says he was in the beginning with God. And so, listen, Jesus didn't become a person at Bethlehem. He was a person far before Bethlehem. In the beginning... He was the Word. He was Jesus. In fact, he was God before the beginning. So he was, he was eternal. He was eternal. He is, he is the three-in-one. Okay, this is, this is again, a, a foundational Christian Orthodox belief that we call the Trinity. Okay, God is three, yet one. He is three persons, and yet he is one God. Okay, so, again, look at verse number one. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it's saying that Jesus is God, and yet he was with God. So it's, it's speaking to the fact that he is, he is God, and yet... He, now, this is, again, the Trinity, and, and we don't have time to fully expand on this, and this, is, this has confounded people throughout the ages, okay? Um, proof of how important this is is, is last night. After the service, I had one of our own who came up to me, one of our regulars, and said, you know what, um, my wife and I have these conversations about this, and, and I, I'm not sure I'm, I believe that Jesus was God. And he wasn't argumentative. He wasn't saying, I don't, I don't believe this. He was open. Uh, in fact, I'm going to give him some, some stuff to read through and to study, but this is, this is not just an easily accepted kind of concept, okay? This is a big deal. Because if Jesus was not God, he could not have brought us salvation. He couldn't cleanse us from our sin. And so the fact that Jesus was God has enormous 
implications. And so I was even reminded last night because I come through this going, okay, this is a very basic concept that Jesus is God. And yet not everybody holds to this. Some would say that he is a God or one of three gods, but no, no, no. The Trinity, the three in one is God is one. And he has is, he is, he is made himself known in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what we see here is, is we're made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is the creator, okay? He is the creator. In fact, we'll see in just a couple minutes, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1, because in John 1, we see echoes of the beginning, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here we see in John chapter 1 that the word Jesus was in the beginning and he created all things. And so, again, foundational to what we believe that Jesus was God. He was creator and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so Jesus is God, fully God and yet fully man. Okay, so the word is Jesus. Jesus is God. And what we're going to spend most of our time over the next few minutes, the rest of this sermon, we're going to talk about this third idea is that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Verses four and five, I want to read through those one more time. It said, in him, in the word, in Jesus was life. And the life was what? The light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is is real. The light of the world has come. And the way I want to say it this morning is this, and we're going to kind of explore this for a few minutes. To appreciate the brightness of the light, we have to feel the depths of darkness, To appreciate the brightness of the light, we have to feel the depths of darkness. Okay, so so let's let's explore this for a couple minutes. Okay, let me let me give us a couple pictures or illustrations. Um, Let me ask you this: How many of you, when it comes to five fifteen every night, okay, over the last month, it messes you up because it is pitch dark outside? Does that mess anybody else up? Okay, I'm not alone. I'm like seven p.m. I am ready to sleep. I feel like old man Andrew. I'm like, what is going on? It's because it's been dark for two hours, right? It, is, it messes me up. This daylight savings time, daylight saving times messes me up. Or like, for instance, this morning, okay? When it's, when it's gloomy, when there's no sunlight, that affects your mood, doesn't it? I'm like all Eeyore, all over the place. I mean, this morning was the perfect morning to stay in bed, right? You all felt it, and thank you for being here um, because the tendency is, oh man, it's, it's, this is, it's gonna be warm just in my bed here, so I'm gonna stay in here. Light affects everything. Um, if you were to do a Google search, afraid of the, what do you think would be the, this Google search? And so afraid of, number one was the dark, and then all kinds of other things. Afraid of holes, okay, all right, okay. Um, what you don't find on this list is afraid of the light. <laughs> you, you just don't find that very often, right? There is actually a thing. It's called photophobia, um, this fear or sensitivity to the light. Thank you, Google. I was able to figure that out. Um, but afraid of the dark, that's, there, there's something real about this, this, this idea of darkness and, and light. Um, let me give you another illustration. Uh, 
at least for me, and I'm assuming for you, I don't fully appreciate the light until my electricity goes out. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And you have no power, you have no light in your house for hours, um, which seems to happen around here sometimes, depending on what neighborhood you live in. Um, the electricity goes out and you're without power, and all of a sudden, this, this electricity, this light that you've, you kind of live with but take for granted becomes really important. You go, man, a lack of light affects everything, right? Um, let me give you a statistic, because it, it, when, when I think of, of crime, when I think of, of, of stuff happening, uh, I, I think of the time of day that it happens. When would you suppose most crime takes place? Okay, uh, that's what I think too. Let me give you a, a statistic here. Um, actually, there's a greater percentage of crime happens during the screen, we'll show you here. When you look at by offense, okay, crime by offense, more violent crime takes place at night. Okay, so DUIs, murder, um, sexual assault, robbery, aggravated assault, those things tend to take place more in the night hours, when it's not light, but when it's what? When it's dark, right? And, and so what I'm trying to say is there's, there's something about light and darkness, and, and it's not just a, a physical thing. In fact, I want to go back to Genesis chapter 1 for, for a minute, the passage I just spoke about. Genesis chapter 1, 1 to 5, because there is, there is something more than just a physical uh, quality to light and darkness. The, I believe there's, there's a supernatural kind of element. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, let's, let's look at this. Genesis 1, 1 to 5, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Verse, uh, continuing on, verse 2, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So God creates the heavens and the earth. It's without form and void. There's darkness. The Spirit of God begins to, to move over the face of the waters. Verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be what? Light was, the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. Okay, so God says, Let there be light. And there's light. And there's day and night, morning and evening. And it didn't hit me. Man, I've, I've read through Genesis 1 so many times in my life. And this was one of these moments this past week as I was looking through this passage where I was like, wait a second. I don't, I've, never, I've never seen this. I have a question here. Because what you find is God goes through creation, the week of creation. Okay, when we think of light, what, what, what is the source of our light on this planet? It's the sun, right? But when does God create the sun and the moon and the stars? It wasn't on day one. It was on day number four. And I was like, I was sitting at in the coffee, scratching my head, going, wait a second. What is going on here? God didn't create the source of light until day four. But on day number one, it says, let there be light. And there was light that divided the, the day from the night. And I began to look and read commentaries and what other theologians have said. And like, sure enough, Everyone else has seen this except for me. And I'm like, okay. So I, I didn't find out something new. Man, I was, I was excited because I was like, well, yeah. But I've just, I've never seen that. Maybe you haven't either. And I still have questions. I don't have necessarily any answers in the beginning. But what this shows me is this is more than just a physical light and, and darkness. There's, there's, a, there's a supernatural element to this. 
In fact, when you come to the end of, of, of time, when you come to the new heavens and the new earth and, and the end of the, the Bible, Revelation 20, uh, 21, it says that there's going to be no need for the sun or the moon because Jesus is the light. It says in Revelation 21, uh, verse 23, the city, speaking of the new Jerusalem, okay, the new heavens, the new earth, when, when God brings us all to pass, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it what? Gives it light. And the, its lamp is the lamb. And, and when you look through the book of John and the, the gospels, we see that Jesus is the lamb of God. And so what it's saying is there's, there's not this physical light because Jesus is the light. He lights it up. And so there's, there's more than a physical quality. There's a supernatural element um, in fact, darkness, let me take it the other direction, darkness. You remember in Exodus when God was bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt and he, he begins to use Moses to put in place these ten plagues and there's the locusts and all these fun things. He comes to the ninth plague in Exodus chapter 10. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. And don't miss this next phrase, a darkness to be what? A darkness to be felt. A darkness to be felt. It's not just like a lack of, 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 of vision, uh, not being able to see. It was a darkness that they could feel. And that's, there's a, this tangible, not just physical, but supernatural element to light and darkness. Okay? And there's a pattern that we see. We see it in Genesis chapter 1. There is darkness over the face of the earth. The Spirit of God begins to move, and then there's light. There's darkness. The Spirit of God moves, and then there is, is light. And there's this supernatural element to light and darkness that requires the Spirit of God to move. Okay, uh, Verse number 5 of John 1. Let me, let me go back there one more time. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, what? Overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. When you, you, know, when you come into a, a dark room, it doesn't take a lot of light to light that thing up, does it? It takes just like a little spark, just a candle, just a, a little spark of light. And the darkness is true about Jesus. And I want you to see in, in 2 Corinthians 4, now, this is speaking to the darkness of our hearts and our souls. It says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, and if, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled or it's, it's covered up to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the what? The light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What he's talking about here is this spiritual darkness that every single one of us faces this brokenness and this emptiness that, again, it saturates and envelops our hearts and our souls, that we are blinded 
to the light of the gospel, the goodness and the glory and the holiness of God, unless God, unless the Spirit of God shines light in and illuminates our spirits. Coming of, of Jesus, Matthew 4, it says, In leaving Nazareth, he, speaking of Jesus, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And what begins to happen here is there's, there's a quoting of this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Here's the prophecy about Jesus coming. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness has seen what? A great Light, the people dwelling in darkness, the, the people living in, finding their existence in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's going on here? There was a prophecy of old that said, man, the people who are living and dwelling in darkness. Man, a light came to shed light on their darkness and their dark condition and to bring light to their dead, dark souls. And here is Jesus who pops up on the scene and begins to preach, repent. The world is bringing the light of the gospel on all of us who are dead in our, our, our sins and our trespasses, in our darkness. And he is bringing a great light. This is what Christmas is all about. It's more than a baby born in a manger. It's about God bringing light to us. Let me say it this way. Jesus is the light of the world invading our darkness to bring salvation. Jesus is the light of the world invading our darkness to bring salvation. And that word invading, I think, is important because when we think of the word invading, we think of this, this forceful kind of entry, and especially we think of maybe wartime or into enemy territory when we're, there's an invasion, right? And this is what has taken place, that our, our world is, is broken by sin, and it's in darkness, and the people are dwelling in darkness. And here comes Jesus, the light of the world, who's invading our darkness to bring us salvation. He's bringing us life that we could never, ever achieve on our own. And it says that that light invading our darkness to bring us salvation. Jesus is the light of the world, invading our darkness to bring salvation. This is way bigger than just a baby being born in a manger. This is about the light of the world coming to us in our darkness. Amen. This is what it's all about. And so uh, here's what I want to do for the, the, last, the last couple minutes here. I want us to jump to the end of, of John's gospel. Okay, we're, we're in the beginning. I want us to fast forward to the very end, John chapter 20, next to the last chapter of the gospel of John. And what we see in verses 30 and 31 is the purpose that John has even written this, this gospel, this book. The reason God even had him pen the words 
and all of the, the stories and the narrative that we see in the Gospel of John. And this is the reason that it was written. In verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Okay, so there's a ton of other stuff that Jesus did that we didn't have the space to record it, okay? Too much. But all the stuff that was written, everything that God has put into his book, everything he's put into this gospel, he says, verse 31, these are written so that you may, what? Believe. That by believing you may have life in his name. The reason John chapter 1 is written, the reason John chapter 2 through 21 was written, the reason all of this was written was not just to show us a bunch of cool story and not just to show us um, Jesus doing a bunch of cool tricks and healing people. No, no, no. It was written so that we would believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was, in fact, God the light of the world. In fact, seven times through the book of John, we see this phrase, Jesus saying, I am, I am, I am. And that was a clear reference to the Jews that he was claiming to be God in the flesh. And these things were written so that you and I would believe that Jesus is God, that he was the light of the world, and that in believing we would have life in his name. And so listen, y'all, the reason we celebrate Christmas is because we were stuck in our darkness and there was no way for us to flip on the lights. There was no way for us to find life unless the souls, and that is why Jesus came. That is why we celebrate because if he did not come, you and I would be stuck in our darkness. We would be stuck dwelling in our sin with no hope of getting out. And so this morning and, and through this series, we're asking the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is the light of the world. And so in light of that, let me ask you two questions this morning. Two questions. First question is this. Have you stepped into the light? Have you stepped into the light? And what I mean by that is, is this. Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, in him alone, as the light of the world, as the way to find salvation in life? Have you stepped into the light? Colossians chapter 1, it says it this way. Verse 13 and 14, he has delivered us. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of what? Of darkness. He's delivered us and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He's taken out of this kingdom of, of darkness and put us into the kingdom of light. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Those of you that have put your faith in Jesus, he says, you are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Listen now, him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, y'all, 
If you are a believer in Christ, if you have stepped into the light and put your faith in Jesus, you and I are part of a called out people. We have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so my question for you this morning is not are you a faithful churchgoer, not have you been in church all of your life, but are you in Christ? Have you stepped into the light and put your faith in Jesus? Because no amount of good works or church attendance or giving is going to bring you into the light. Only the Spirit of God applying the Word of God to your heart and you stepping into the light of Christ. Nothing else is going to do it. Have you stepped into the light? Here's the second question I have, because maybe you would say, yes, I have. Here's the other question. Are you walking in the Psalm 56, verse 13, it says this, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling. Why? That I may walk before God in the light of life. 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10, John says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is, what? Light, and in him is no darkness at all, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and and when we talk about God being light, we're speaking of his holiness and his righteousness and his purity. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So my question is this, are you walking in the light? You know what it means to walk in the light? It means to walk in repentance. It means to walk continually confessing our sin. And listen, y'all, we have, you know Why? Because we sin every single day. And we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. And the beauty, the good news of the gospel is that he is faithful and just. That if we're walking in in sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. If we would confess and repent and walk away from our sin. And so my question is for you this morning. Have you stepped into the light? Are you walking in the light?